Hello and welcome to one of the first episodes of the Amherst STEM Networks podcast. My name is Aditya Nayak, your host for today's episode. And okay, small disclaimer, while we were recording this episode, we may or may not have had an official name for our podcast yet, but it does have this super catchy theme song. If you haven't listened to episode zero yet, where we introduce the podcast, one of the things we want to do is make STEM less intimidating by talking to the people in STEM at Amherst. Now, at the end of the day, all of us, professors, students, faculty, we're all just doing our best to understand the world about us. And that's the core message of our podcast. In today's podcast, we introduce you to Professor Rachel Bernard. She started as a visiting geology professor at Amherst the fall of 2019. And now she studies rocks that come up from the lower crust and upper mantle portions of the earth through volcanic eruptions. Today, we talked to her about her journey from being a prospective engineering student at Princeton to now being a Amherst professor. We also talk about what her research entails in specifics and her thoughts about diversity in the geology field. A transcript of this interview is available at www.amherststemnetwork.com where you can follow along to the audio and see images of the samples that she examines. Okay, now without further ado, here's our conversation with Professor Bernard. Hello, Professor Bernard. Thank you so much for joining me today. You are a relatively new geology professor at Amherst, and you'd mentioned this upcoming semester will actually be your second year teaching at the college. So for anyone listening who has not yet had the pleasure to meet you, who are you? Sure, so I uh, am about to start my first year, or second year at Amherst College. Um, And I am a visiting assistant professor in the geology department. I I teach structural geology, so, and I will also teach intro geology eventually. But for right now, I've been teaching structural geology, which is a kind of upper level classroom majors, and it focuses on the part of geology that I'm really interested in, which is how rocks deform and how they break and kind of the physics behind all of that and how tectonic plate movement affects rock deformation. Where did your interest in geology start? Was it something when you were younger and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you always respond geologist or is it something you grew into? So most, almost every geologist that I've met that's a professional geologist didn't know that they liked geology and they ended up falling in love with it in college. So they just happened to take an intro course or maybe they didn't even want to do STEM, but they had to do some science class that did geology and they really liked it. So for me, it was a little bit similar. I, um, I went to undergrad at Princeton and I enrolled as an engineer and I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that if in high school, if you like science and math, people tell you that maybe you'll like engineering. So I did engineering and I was in environmental engineering. That was my declared major, but I didn't actually, they didn't actually do the intro to environmental engineering until sophomore year. 
So I was so excited. And then I finally start intro to environmental engineering and I hated it. So mm -hmm. boring. And it was like all chemistry and I didn't really realize how much of environmental engineering was chemistry and volatiles in the atmosphere. So I kind of panicked and I didn't know what to do. And luckily I had a part-time job helping a senior with his thesis research. So all I had to do was like hold an instrument for him and he did kind of stream work. Um, and he, I told him about my problem and he said, oh, you should major in geological engineering. That's what I do. And it's really fun. And I was basically so desperate that I just signed up for it <laughs> because I was running out of time and it was pretty much the only thing I didn't need to take more prerequisites for. So I signed up for it and took my first geology class junior year and I loved it. At Princeton, what was the first geology class you took and what was your first impression of it? Yeah, I really did, because I didn't find geology until my junior year, I kind of had to jam pack a lot of classes at once. So I took intro at the same time that I took some atmosphere and oceans class, um, I think. And it was great. I liked it immediately. It was the first time intro geology was the first time that I actually wanted to ask a question in class. In the past, I had just done it because I wanted to participate and get my points, but I didn't actually really care what the answer was. <laughs> but in geology, in intro geology, I was like, what? Tectonic plates? I actually want to find out more about this. So I was actually asking questions and um, I still ended up majoring in engineering because I did geologic engineering. So um, yeah, it, it actually took me several years after undergrad to even realize that geology was something I wanted to go to grad school for. I was so burnt out and tired after undergrad and um, I didn't really like my senior thesis experience uh, or how it went. So I was kind of done with school and was just like, I have an engineering degree. I don't need to go to grad school. Um, so it wasn't until kind of years later that I really thought back about it. like, oh, actually, I did like geology classes. That was cool. Maybe I should go to grad school for it. After graduating from Princeton, wanting to not continue in education, it's interesting that you're now a visiting geology professor at Amherst. How did you find your way back to grad school and now academic geology? Yeah, so um, because I had an engineering degree and no interest in uh, continuing education at all, I went and worked for an oil field services company. So it's a company called Slumberger, and they um, hire field engineers to operate equipment for drilling oil. So I worked on oil and gas rigs for two years after undergrad as an engineer. Um, it was in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, so offshore, and some onshore in Arkansas and Texas. And I did that for two years, and it was not for me. Um, it was definitely an adventure, but it was very high stress, high adrenaline environment. You know, oh, something breaks, we have to fix it in the middle of the night or else everyone's gonna be mad. I, that is not for me. So um, luckily I got a job after after I'd been there for two years, I got a job working for the government. So I worked for the National Science Foundation uh, 
in Washington, DC, which I was really happy about because my parents live there. Um, and I worked there for two years. And that was really where I started to go back to geology and think about grad school because I worked in the Division of Earth Sciences. And basically what NSF does is they fund a lot of the scientific research that you know people in academia are doing. So I'm working in the Division of Earth Sciences and reading all these proposals that are coming in of people that want to do all these cool science projects. And everyone I'm working with basically has a PhD in geology and they're really nice. So basically while I was working for theirs, when I decided that I could go back to school and do it and grad school is a lot different than undergrad and yeah, so. Then I applied to grad school, did a PhD, and did a postdoc, and now I'm here. Even though you decided not to stay in those positions, how did these early careers shape your eventual decision to become a geologist? The thing that really made the biggest difference for me, um, and this was, so one thing I really struggled with is it took me a long time to figure out what I'm going to focus on in grad school, because mm -hmm. In the sciences, in most scientific disciplines, when you go to grad school, you're applying to work with a specific person on a specific project. It's not just like, I'm gonna apply to UT Austin and do a project and I don't know who with. Like you have to find a person and whatever school they happen to be at, that's the school that you go to. Um, and when you contact them, you have to have kind of some sense of what you're interested in which is really hard um and so when i was at nsf i was able to go to a big scientific conference it's um, the american geophysical union annual conference it's tens of thousands of people really big a lot of people from space science and atmospheric sciences and geology uh, go there and um I kind of was overwhelmed and didn't really know what I liked. I knew I kind of liked physics and rock deformation, but that was pretty much it. And I was just really lucky that I met um, a postdoc at her poster. She had a poster there and it was a really pretty poster and the rocks were really cool on the poster. And so I kind of got to talking to her. And anyway, she ended up being getting an being an assistant professor at UT Austin and so when she got that job I applied to work with her um, and so that's how I kind of got into my specific area of research. All these questions are leading to what you do now so what do you research? Yeah so most of what I study is uh, ductile deformation so in the earth uh, rocks break near the surface where things are cooler and the pressure is lower uh, they break brittily so you get things like faults and earthquakes but when you go deeper towards like the, the lower crust and into the mantle which is the layer below the crust things are still deforming but they're deforming ductally so more like kind of silly putty so still a solid but stretching out um smearing over really long periods of time so it's it's very solid it's just you know over a million years it kind of is it's more of a flowing uh process and so i study rocks that come from the upper crust or the lower crust and the upper mantle 
I look at, I cut slides of the rocks and primarily look at them under the microscope. Um, sometimes like a regular microscope, sometimes an electron microscope uh, in order to look at the microstructures. So the small kind of atomic breaks that happen that allow this silly putty like flow behavior. Um, so just looking at them, studying the material properties of those rocks and the main rocks that I do or that I use for this are called xenoliths and they're really cool because, okay, backing up, we can't drill into the mantle. Theoretically, we probably could, but we haven't yet as a species or society because it's really deep, really hot all equipment breaks. Um, and so one of the few ways that we're able to get rocks from the mantle is these volcanic eruptions. Um, so there are sp specific places around the world, different localities where volcanoes have actually erupted from so deep that they've been able to grab chunks of rock. Uh, so the magma erupts and grabs chunks of the rock on its way up and spits them out the top. Um, and so those, and those are called xenoliths, because uh, it's a, I think it's Greek, but it, it's from the same root word as xenophobia. So it's, it literally means stranger rock. So it's like a rock, a weird rock that's within another rock. Um, and uh, yeah, so I go to old volcanoes and walk around and look for pieces of the mantle or the lower crust and study them. Now, when you finally acquire these raw materials, what are you looking for in them? So mineral composition is important. That's one thing where it, mineral composition can really help you figure out how deep the rock came from. So exactly what depth um, it came from. But um, under the microscope, we can see some really strong evidence for deformation. So when when you have just a normal rock where crystals form and they cool, but nothing deformation related happens, the, the crystals are kind of nice and happy and maybe they're like nice equant sizes. So they're not too long in one direction or too short. They're just kind of, you know, a shape of a crystal that you'd expect. Um, like when you would go to a museum and see crystals, but in, these rocks that have been deformed, the minerals can get really, really stretched out. So that's one way that they show they've been deformed. So we can get crystals that should be shaped like this that are really, really long and smeared out. Um, and so we can get that. Um, and then we also see kind of in geology, we use petrographic microscopes. So they have these filters that allow you to see um, just changes in the mineral structure that you wouldn't normally be able to see uh, just because the deformation changes the optic properties and it's a whole complicated thing, but you can see it. <laughs> and I can, share some I can share some pictures with you if you wanted, just about um, if you wanted to show people what um, the rocks look like under our petrographic microscopes. It's really beautiful. Um, and they're really crazy colors because we used 
polarized filters when we're looking at our rocks. Um, and so it makes them all kind of crazy colors, pinks and purples and blues, and it's very beautiful. Now, I've heard this saying before that you can tell a story through rocks, um, because just looking at them, you can see how people have interacted with the earth and just what our history is. So what's the story that your research tells and what are the implications of what you're doing? Well, one thing, one thing that's kind of, that I find really interesting is how deep, how deep do faults go? Kind of the traditional um, thought behind faults is that they only exist where rocks deform brittily. So in the upper part of the crust and then they just stop. So you have this fault and then it stops. Um, but what we know more recently is that really big faults like the San Andreas, for example, there's a, you know, some discontinuity at the top that's brittle. So that's kind of the plates are rubbing past each other like that. And then when you get down lower, it starts to, there's still a concentration of deformation. Like you have this zone, which we call a shear zone, where rocks are really, really highly deformed and they're smearing and deforming uh, in a really concentrated region. And as you get farther and farther away, they become less and less and less deformed. Uh, that's not how faults work because we have deformation and then no deformation because it's just a very discrete, discontinuous contact. Um, but we know from geophysical surveys that the San Andreas and seismic profiles that San Andreas actually goes all the way to the Moho. So the Moho is what we call the boundary between the crust and the mantle. And we can actually see that beneath the San Andreas, the Moho has a little break in it, um, which tells us that the fault is going super deep all the way into the mantle. And that could have, you know, really implications for how people model earthquakes. Like if you think about if you're modeling an earthquake and you have to put in your parameters, one of the things is depth. You know, you're not going to be able to model exactly how far your earthquake's going to propagate or how often it might slip. If you're doing any sort of modeling with earthquakes, you're going to need to know what, how deep the fault goes and what's going on beneath the fault. Um, and so a lot of what I do is look for evidence of rocks being deformed in that way in the mantle um, from shear zones. Just to backtrack a little bit now, earlier in our conversation, you'd mentioned that you went into undergrad for engineering, mainly because people said if you're interested in math and science, you might like engineering. And quite honestly, that's what happened to me too last year when I was applying to colleges. How did you get current students interested in geology? And how do you encourage others to pursue geology? Yeah, so I really enjoy doing outreach. Uh, I think what a, th a, a hard thing about geology is that it's one of the few sciences that people just don't take in K through 12. So when I was in my junior year of college and being blown away by all this intro geology stuff, it's because I had never learned anything about it. And that's probably why it was so exciting for me. I never had an earth science class, never had anything. And so I wouldn't have even, it didn't, it had never even occurred to me to think about a rock 
like <laughs> just like never would have even thought about it um so i'd like to i mean i want to see geology become a much more diverse field it's the least diverse stem field actually in this country and i want to see more diversity and i think one of one of that is introducing all different kinds of people to geology to even you know put it on their radar say this is cool you can have a lot of different awesome jobs with geology and here's what geology is so um i'd like to get more people at amherst to take geology especially next spring when i'm going to be co-teaching intro um 111 so um yeah that's a big thing and just increasing diversity in geology is a really big passion of mine and one of the things that i've been spending a lot of time doing actually is just trying to convince uh people that it's a problem that geology isn't more diverse because i think um it's how i've done that is kind of collecting data on who is actually studying geology and in particular who's getting PhDs in geology um, and what their demographics have been. And so I think by showing a lot of other geologists that these numbers are really small. It's not just that you don't know people or maybe it's not just that your department doesn't have a lot of people like this is our whole field is very white um and uh even just po pointing that out i think is a good step what we do about that is very a lot more complicated <laughs> i'm so glad you brought that up because i feel like this summer in particular has showcased the lack of diversity in stem what specific actions do you take to point out diversity issues in geology and to fix the lack of it? Well, actually, our department has been talking a lot, you know, all summer. The faculty and a lot of the students have been having these conversations about diversity in the geosciences, particularly at Amherst, but uh, we've been doing some readings about, you know, why geology has this problem in particular. And I mean, an example of one thing is kind of the messaging we put out about geology. Um, most people that are currently geologists do it, be, or traditionally geologists, do it because they love camping, they love being outside, they want to climb a rock or a mountain. Um, they lived in a place where you see mountains, and um, that is like a very specific subset of the population doesn't necessarily apply to someone who's from New York City, for example, and may not have been camping, may not want to go camping ever. Um, and so I think we've done kind of a bad job as a group, not me, other people, <laughs> of, um, of being like, you know why everyone should major in geology? It's because it's cool and we go camping and it's awesome. Um, and I think that's great. And I mean, I love camping. I love being outside, but that can't be the main, our main selling point to people about geology because the fact is in modern times, like now, most geologists don't do that. Like I work in a lab, I work on microscopes. Most of the people in our department do lab work. 
Um, so that's kind of more where the field is going anyway. So we just need to do a better job of showing people like geology is great. You can learn all these amazing things about the earth in a lab on an oil rig in a tent if you want. There's a lot of different things that um, in doing computer modeling, there's a ton of different um, diverse things you can do as a geologist. And I think we haven't really done a good job of like advertising that. Uh, what are some misconceptions about geologists? Probably that everyone is outdoorsy and we all study rocks. Um, there's a ton of geologists who probably don't you know, couldn't identify one rock over another. I mean, I think that's awful because I love rocks, but, you know, people that study fossils and people that study um, climate change, um, I think a lot of, I think environmental science is a great program at Amherst and really popular, and I think, or environmental studies, um, I think a lot of the people that are drawn to environmental studies would actually really like geology to, as well, um, and I hope that they would take more some geology classes because we use the rock record to look at past climate. You know, if you're doing things like going out on a ship and getting, um, you know, drilling down to the earth and looking at oxygen levels over time, CO2, you're, um, that's geology. You're using the rock record to study something that's important climate change, evolution. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably a misconception is that we're only studying rocks. It's really that we're using rocks and using what we can find in the earth to answer questions about everything around us. So for people who might be interested in taking geology or maybe our environmental studies majors that are kind of on the fence, want to explore something new, or people who just don't really know too much about what geology is, what advice do you have for them? I, I mean, my advice would just be to take intro, take 111, take surf, which is a different class, and I don't remember the number, but it's um, also an introductory level class in our department. Um, just take, well, I think 111 is great. You learn everything, a little bit of everything. If you learn a little bit of tectonics, you learn a little bit of minerals and reading maps, get to go on field trips in a normal year, maybe not this year, but in the future. Um, and I would just take intro. And then, you know, if you don't like, if you don't like it, then maybe it's not for you. But I think most people like intro geology and a lot of people take it toward the end of their time at Amherst and regret not taking it sooner. So I'm guessing the best time to take geology would be when you're teaching it in the spring 2021. So to any of our listeners, keep that in mind. But where can students find you for the rest of the semester? So I have a new baby. So I'm trying to be extra mm -hmm. cautious. And so I'm going to be working remotely from home. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll be super available remotely. But when I'm not, you know, after COVID settles down, 
Uh, I can be found in my office in Beneski on the third floor. That's where most of us geology professors have offices. And uh, I love my office. It's got a nice window. It's got a couch. You can come hang, ask <laughs> questions about rocks or not. Oh, you're so lucky. Beneski is such a pretty building. Yeah, I, well, I really like all the mineral. There's beautiful mineral displays all over Beneski that I highly recommend. There, I think pe maybe people at Amherst don't realize it, but like, this is the nicest geology building I've ever been in. When I came to interview here, I thought I was in like a dream. It's like, are you kidding? Why are there so many beautiful rocks everywhere? Why is there a museum? in the building like why is all this? like it is beautiful um so i think people should take advantage and i know the museum's going to be open for people to be able to study in um this semester so it's just a really beautiful space and it feels really nice and just look at some nice looking nice looking rocks and minerals and meteorites and fossils as we wrap up this interview, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Do you have any last pieces of advice for our audience? My piece of advice is to really take advantage of all of the cool classes you have the opportunity to take at Amherst. Don't, and you know, obviously be practical, but don't just take classes because you think it'll look good or um, you really need that last technical class for your specific major i mean if you're planning on going to grad school you're never going to be your grad advisor is not going to be letting you take classes on emily dickinson just for the hell of it if you're getting a phd in geology like now is the time to take classes and whatever is cool and interesting because when you go to grad school you have to stick to your topic which should also be cool and interesting but you know so take things that are fun don't just do things that are practical so that was what my problem when i was an undergrad is i thought i need to do engineering because i want a job and that is the practical choice but then i got that job and i hated it and then where was i so um so try your best to find something you really like to do i know it's it can be really hard. It took me a long time to do. Thank you so much, Professor Bernard, for sharing your story and research with our audience. If you take nothing else from this podcast, please do take Intro to Geology because you may just end up thinking that geology rocks. Thank you so much for listening to one of our first tries at a podcast. Remember to stay curious, stay informed, and stay tuned for more.